Real Fun DC. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hey everybody, it's Nikki Nellis coming from you live from my bedroom, which sounds way sexier than it actually is. Uh, it's industry night uh, on our new platform, Real Fun DC. I was very fortunate. I had a terrific show called Industry Night at the Line Hotel on Full Service Radio, which is unfortunately due to COVID now defunct, but we are now doing it on Real Fun DC and we're so excited to be a part of this amazing platform that has just recently launched with Tommy McFly and Kelly Collis. Uh, you may know me from around town because I do the list or you want us.com, the online e-zine that talks about every food and wine event happening in the DC metro area. But now also due to COVID, we list lots of other virtual happenings all around the country because now it's really easy to participate. It's a little tiny itty bitty silver lining and what's going on out there. Um, lastly, you know you can hear me uh, every week on Foodie and the Beast, the radio show that I do with my husband. We just celebrated 12 years on air this weekend. Every week it's a party on air and it does come from my bedroom as well. No longer in studio for the foreseeable future. Um, also, of course, follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for all the delicious things happening just not only here, but all around uh, the country. So I'm really um, excited about who I'm talking with today. Um, aside from COVID, there's been some other tragedies that have been happening around the nation. I mean, too many to count, really. But California has been hit hard. Um, we've had the pandemic. Um, and there have been not one, but two massive fires that have gone after the Napa Valley wine industry. And there has been terrific loss there. And um, I'm very uh, humbled to be able to talk with people from that area today to talk about, first of all, their experience with the pandemic and how they were thriving and surviving through it and then getting hit by these fires and what happens next. So with me today is um, Alan Viader, who uh, is the Director of Operations and Winemaking at Viader Vineyards and Winery. Kelly Carter, who is the Director of Communications for Alpha Omega Winery and the Alpha Omega Collective. And David Tate, who is with Barnett Vineyards. Um, I thank you all for joining me today. Um, so I'd like for each of you to give me sort of the elevator speech of your wineries. Um, David, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about your vineyards. Yeah, uh, Barnett Vineyards is on top of Spring Mountain, about 2,000 feet up, Spring Mountain being one of the 16 sub-appellations in Napa. Uh, so we're at the very top of Spring Mountain up there. Barnett started um, Barnett Vineyards in uh, the early 80s. Uh, Helen Fiona Barnett and they still own Barnett Vineyards today um, and I've been able to have the pleasure of being the winemaker and general manager for them for almost 14 years now. So um, amazing small production in the sense we do 7,000 cases. Uh, we predominantly make Cabernet up on top of Spring Mountain but we also source from very all 
ultra premium vineyards in um, Green Valley of the Russian River, Carnero, Dry Creek, uh, for other uh, varietals other than just Cabernet. Great, okay. And Kelly, how about um, Alpha Omega? So Alpha Omega is on the Rutherford bench in Napa Valley. It was founded in 2006 by husband and wife, Michelle and Robin Baggett. And we specialize in Cabernet Sauvignon, but of course our Chardonnays and Sauvignon Blanc are amazing too. People are often surprised by that. We make about 15,000 cases a year and we have our own vineyards and source from premier vineyards as well. And out of the 16 ABAs in Napa Valley, then like this vintage, we have fruit from 12. Sometimes it's as many as 15. So we have a variety of hillside, mountain, valley floor, and specialize in, you know, our red blends. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's Alpha Omega. And we have Alpha Omega Collective, which is our downtown Napa tasting room, which opened last year. And that showcases our three brands. So not just Alpha Omega in Napa Valley, but also Telosa Winery, which is in San Luis Obispo in Edna Valley's region. And... Perinet, Perinet Winery, which is in Spain's Priorat region. Okay. And that's a smaller tasting room, but we're at a prime spot downtown Napa, which is super exciting. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I want to say congratulations, but it feels like timing is everything, right? Um, Alan, I'd like to bring you in. Tell us a little bit about your winery and vineyard. Oh, thanks, Nikki. Uh, Viader was um, started in the mid-80s by my mom, Delia Viader. Uh, immigrated from Argentina to uh, to California, wanted to start uh, her own company, um, fell in love with the wine region while she traveled in uh, France and fell in love with Cabernet Franc specifically. So she wanted to uh, be a producer of Cabernet Franc, uh, planted on lower foothills of Howell Mountain, were about 1200 feet elevation, very steep, rocky hillsides, very good exposure, uh, good sun exposure. Um, so we make really uh, very nice balanced wines, uh, mostly blends all in-house, uh, small artisanal blends, uh, four or five different uh, Cabernet blends. Um, I'm the winemaker. I grew up working in the vineyards. We have one estate. Uh, my mom's house is right in the center of the vineyard. So uh, it was my front yard, backyard as a kid, and I somehow fell in love and uh, kind of inherited her passion uh, for the wine industry. and. I've been working uh, with the company now uh, over 20 years and just really happy to be there. Um, but we, we make small uh, production. We do 4,000 cases, uh, you know, all hand farmed, hand uh, crafted wines. So, yeah. Well, thank you. And again, I want to thank you all for joining me. I want to sort of collectively go back to March 15th. I mean, that's what it was here on the East Coast. So I don't know when the shutdown happened more for you on the West Coast, but let's use that as sort of a, a, a starting point. Well, I remember it clearly March 13th, our kids got kicked out of school or yep. shut down. <laughs> Mine too, March 5th, it was, they said it on the 13th, but that <laughs> Monday, everything shut down. So, okay, we have a shutdown. We've never experienced this before, especially for the wine industry. Um, how did that affect each of your vision, your business? Like what was, what was coming next and how did you evolve? I hate to use the word pivot, but that's what everybody had to do. But how did you guys figure that out 
Um, Alan, let's let's start with you. How did you? What did you guys figure out to do? And especially with the farming, like you're a small farm. How did you keep your people safe? Yeah, I mean, it was it was challenging to kind of figure it out. I mean, we had we had to close our doors. Uh, we're 100%, you know, dependent on direct to consumer. Um, we sell all our wines, you know, pretty much handing the bottle to all our customers, um, and. The fact that we had to shut our doors and shut, you know, lock the gate um, was hard for us. Uh, you know, we, we really had to kind of reimagine kind of our whole business plan. We, um, we, you know, cleaned everything. We had hand sanitizer. I mean, that's the one thing about the beauty about being a, a winery. We have, you know, high proof ethanol um, by the gallon right. here and there. So we, we made our own hand sanitizer. I even dropped a few little things of essential oil so that it, you know, didn't dry your hands out and smell good. And um, we all wore masks. We had plenty of masks. Uh, 2017, uh, we had all those bad air day, air quality days and the fires. So I had stockpiles of masks in the closet for, you know, that just in case type of event. And uh, this definitely fell under that. Um, uh, so we, you know, we, we got on the phone. The best thing we could do is just continue that conversation with our customers. Um, but, you know, we couldn't do it in person. So we did it uh, on the phone. I started, uh, we opened up our uh, website. We never sold wines on our website before. And um, it was always that kind of elusive, you know, call if interested tagline that we had on the website. And now, you know, we put up all our uh, wines on the shopping cart or on the, on the store and, uh, sent emails, I started hosting virtual tastings, uh, had to learn what Zoom was real quick. Uh, and surprisingly, it was successful. People wanted to do Zoom tastings with me all the time. So we well, did a lot. Well, they, they were home, so they yeah. needed something to do. Kelly, let's talk about Alpha Omega because you had the new storefront, the tasting room, but then the vineyard as well. So how, how did you guys figure out what was next? Right, so we closed on March 17th once Governor Newsom, you know, issued the directive that tasting rooms would close. Mm -hmm. Now the winery continued operations. So because we are agriculture, then we are able to continue the operations. Everybody's out in the vineyards, you know, working and we continue making wine, but we just were not able to greet customers. Mm -hmm. But we launched a delivery service complimentary delivery service for Napa Valley and people were certainly buying a lot of wine because everybody's so stressed out and we already had you know we're not 100% direct to consumer like Alan but we're about 90% so that's a huge chunk but we had we're ahead of the game as far as we already had an inside sales team that called people and we have very successful inside sales team and they but, pick up but was it um was it legal in california already to do like sales like did you have to change like your legal status in order to do sales the way you were now doing them no did, we were already yeah. like over here on the east coast like they had to create all these laws super fast so people could sell wine differently beer differently cocktails differently like all, all bets were off. Do you know what I mean? Well, so rooms, no, because people were still able to purchase wine, even if they purchased online and still wanted to come by and pick it up, mm -hmm. which quite a few people did. Some people just wanted to see the winery. It just made them feel good to see vineyards, say if they're in San Francisco or something, and they, you know, they've got a lot of people around them. Mm -hmm. And so they just wanted to go to a low density place. And, you know, we had 
to kind of change things because of COVID and we don't, we were careful about how many people could come into the tasting room at any one time just to pick up wine. But, and from a business standpoint, we retrained our sales team, our people who are ho our wine educators who are greeting people. So we, everybody started working from home. We retrained the sales team to pick up the phone and be able to call people also. And not just always just to sell wine, but you just do a check-in and see how they're doing because everybody was so stressed out. And so just really kind of engaging with our customers. And we launched a Live at Five series, which we go live every Wednesday and Friday on Instagram Live and Facebook Live. And with our winemaker and virtual ambassador, you know, one of our top sales guys, we made him a virtual ambassador as his new title. Mm -hmm. And our vineyard manager comes on on Fridays and they sit there and they drink wine. We pick one wine to feature and it's a 30 minute show. And it's just a way to keep that connection going. Uh -huh. We launched our virtual tastings in April. And initially, we started off doing them once a week. But that's a lot to do because each one got larger and larger and larger. I mean, we've gone from doing them inside a private tasting room to as the weather got better to being outside. And if you, anyone who goes to our website can go to our events page and click on our YouTube button and see how grand these are. I mean, we just had a luau on the lawn with Polynesian dancers dancing to, we paired the dances to the wines for four different wines. There was a Hawaiian born chef cooking this kampachi. And we have a master song, Bob Bath, who teaches at the CIA. And we have our vintners, Robin and Michelle Baggett and our winemaker, Henrik Polson. Mm -hmm. So it's a huge production. It's and it's on our front, it's on our lawn, and our guests are there. They're watching this whole thing. Everybody's in their Hawaiian, their Aloha attire. Mm -hmm. And we have, you know, we had a, for that one, I think we had about 80 guests on Zoom. And okay. that's just 80 people. Everybody had, you know, some people have six people at home, some people have 10 people at home. So we're actually able to reach more people than we would say if we held a wine club event. We had a luau scheduled for our wine club event. And I'm say, gonna, I'm going to cut you for a sec okay. because what you're saying is amazing. But I do want to, you know, jump to David for a second and just talk about their experience. David, I'm going to take a quick break first, but when we come back, we can talk about what happened for you all. And then maybe we can all talk for a couple minutes just about where we are, where you each are now, like mm -hmm. how we talk about these luau's and, and how, you know, you're. Because of Zoom, there is a different access, right? It's a tiny silver lining. Um, so this is Nikki Nellis, Industry Night on Real Fun DC. You know you can ask Alexa. Say, hey, Alexa, Real Fun DC, and it'll come on. I'll be back in just a sec. It's Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. <sighs> Serving up thought for food. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hey everybody, welcome back. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis on Real Fun DC. Thanks for joining us today. So if you're just popping in, I am talking with people from the Valley, Napa Valley, um, and talking about their experiences with uh, the pandemic. I mean, obviously there have been other tragedies there, which we're gonna get into in just a little bit. But I do have um, Alan Viadere, Kelly Carter, and David Tate with me. Um, David, let's talk about your vineyard and how you guys sort of turned on a dime for when dealing with this pandemic. 
Yeah, thanks, Nikki. Yeah, just like um, with Kelly and Alan, you know, we, we shut down, obviously, uh, as soon as the uh, governor um, called for tasting rooms to be shut down. So um, we had to get really inventive really quickly. Um, we, we did go straight to Zoom and, um, you know, immediately we had a great following, but you know, just, just doing a tasting for Zoom, um, you know, slowly got to be commonplace. So we you know, kept searching for different um, concepts. And one thing we did seems really crazy. We, we ended up inviting uh, our club members and, and others um, to a blending seminar. And what we did is we bottled three different varietals straight from the barrel into little sample bottles and sent them off uh, overnight to uh, about a hundred different guests. And then the next day they joined on Zoom and I went through a blending seminar with them. Wow. And they could have the fun of making their own blends. They had Petit Verdot, Merlot, Cabernet, and they got to play along with me on how I assemble the wines, you know, normally um, as the winemaker. So it was really fun concepts like these that kind of came out of this. Um, so, you know, looking at the silver lining, obviously. Um, but we, we continued to do that. And then we did a lot of virtual tastings. We immediately offered um, to all the people who were coming up, who could no longer come up, uh, a bundle package where we would send them uh, the wines. They could get a, a gathering of their close family or e even in their bubble uh, together and then just have a tasting as we uh, videoed the view and the vineyard and, and the property. So it really, we tried to make it feel like they were there. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of these different concepts came out of this that were really positive. And, and to this day, uh, almost daily, we're still doing virtual tastings. It, it, it took on a life of its own. Um, and I think it's gonna keep going. Well, I was just gonna say to all three of you, I mean, these, the silver lining is that now you can reach people in an entirely different way than you had in the past. Whereas more people came to your tasting rooms, which is, don't get me wrong, still a priority. But now maybe you do that tasting room visit and you have a Zoom visit. So people, you know, like me on the East Coast, I can participate, right? So there's, your reach is larger now in a different way, not dissimilar actually from how we're doing this interview right now. Normally I would, I would want you here, right? Um, so that we could really have that conversation. So there is, it's, I think it's really interesting to me, like these little positives that have popped up. Um, so, right, slowly but surely. Um, and, and we'll look back and find things that worked that, and didn't work, obviously. Um, what about your wine sales for all of you with, let's start with the pandemic and then I wanna sort of edge into the, the recent fires. Um, I mean, it sounds like most of you don't really sell to restaurants or do any real wholesale. It's, it's all direct to consumer, David? No, uh, we actually do a considerable amount of wholesale. Oh, We're about 50% direct and 50% wholesale. Okay. And, you know, just to reflect on what happened over the past few months, um, you know, it really obviously with the restaurants closing down and we're predominantly restaurant, we're not as much uh, on the shelf retail. Um, it had to shift. There had to be a big paradigm shift where we started approaching a lot of our retail um, partners and, you know, offering what we could to help them 
uh, move these wines. And, and retail really exploded. I'm sure you're aware. Uh, a lot of these great shops that had you know, loyal followings and stuff like that all of a sudden just took off, which was great. But that being said, our, our wholesale dropped by about 70%. Um, our retail, however, uh, through all these uh, inventive ways of, of um, involving our customers and doing these virtual tastings um, remain the same. So we, we felt really uh, fortunate that, you know, although wholesale took a bit of a hit, our retail and, and loyal customers knew what we were going through and, and we found ways to include them and, and uh, continue to, uh, to, to move along with the retail really well. Oh, okay. And Kelly, what about for um, Alpha Omega? So the revenue actually was higher because people were just drinking more wine. Don't tell anybody that. <laughs> well, that's still don't brag. Don't brag. No, but it, it's it's amazing, and you don't know how much everybody was drinking more. But you really never know when people are going to cut back and say, "Well, I'm not going to buy a, a one hundred dollar bottle of Napa Valley." Right. Cabernet, I'm going to get two buck chuck or something. But <laughs> during this time, people also realize, you know, life is short and life is too short to drink bad wine. Right. <laughs> so, so people were still spending. And that's what, that's kind of what surprised me personally. Uh -huh. I mean, thank goodness people were, were still buying and people wanted to, wanted to support. Right. So the revenue was, everything was moving along quickly, quite uh -huh. well you know, during the pandemic itself. <laughs> right. Alan, what about for um, your winery? Yeah, similar experiences here. I mean, we, we really pushed on the, uh, the email outreach and creating these little, you know, tasting, virtual tasting packs that were exciting, interesting, that I would personally host. So, you'd, you know, normally you would come into the tasting room and you'd maybe see me in passing at the winery, but now you have all these outlets to have a one-on-one -on -one with the winemaker, have a one-on-one -on -one tasting, you know, wines that I personally picked out. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, that was very uh, successful. We were calling people more often and everybody was showing their support, uh, opening their wines, opening their wines and ask, asking what was tasting great now. You, you'd see everybody uh, on Instagram. I would, I would encourage people to open their wines because I was, I was uh, tasting wines with my mom. We were opening our entire cellar back to uh, 1989. We went all the way to current and then we went all the way back to 89. And, you know, all these uh, engagements and uh, on Instagram and social media, you know, we're, we're encouraging people to open. So we were seeing actually quite a bit of support, which is great. So sales, well, were, will, sales were up. I will say personally, and obviously I don't have sellers like any of you, but we, I do have wines that I have down in my cellar that we have been holding on to for I don't even know what with some of them. And we did open them during the pandemic. One yeah. was forked. The rest were <laughs> terrific. But, you know, I, I, I think sometimes we hold on to these wines because we're afraid to right. let them go. And I, I'm glad that we didn't. All it right. So we're, we're going to have to do a shift uh, for the moment. So, okay. I, this is how I feel it, it sort of went around the country. Like we're all sort of figuring out the pandemic, right? We're like, okay, we're getting our, our groove together. We see what the future looks like. There are hiccups along the way, but then you don't get just one, you get two fires. Um, I know I understand one, the Hennessy went to the east. One went to the east and the glass went to the west, right? 
but in the same area, which is rare. Is, am I incorrect with that information? The areas were a little different, whereas Hennessy was a little bit further south. So Glass Fire is more up valley. Up valley, okay. And Hennessy was Pritchard Hill and then out to Lake Hennessy. Of course, the smoke blew this way, but the it was more east. Okay. Yeah, and then it then it just surrounded Lake Berryessa and Pope Valley yes. and Charles okay. Valley. And where the glass fire, the second fire, was was predominantly north and west. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, on the west side. So where where up on top of Spring Mountain, I could see the smoke coming up from behind by by Berryessa and Hennessy, which is to the east of the valley. Mm -hmm. um, and when the glass fire came, we could see the fire on the mountain um, uh, on on Hal Mountain, and then um, all of a sudden see the fire right in front of me. So. Uh, we were fighting the fire for five days up there on top of Spring Mountain. Uh, we were so able to... For, for Pete, like, you have to educate the, the us East Coasters, right? So fires are not something that happens here like it happens there. So when you're when the fire is coming, like, who's with you? How are you fighting it? What is happening? Can you give us a little more of what's going on? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was absolutely... Um, wild. Um, we saw it coming on uh, up the back end of the mountain or front end of the mountain uh, through both a national park towards a property. And so on Monday afternoon when the fires were raging, we, we got up there driving through uh, fire on both sides of us on Spring Mountain Road. Um, it was myself and the son-in-laws of the Barnetts and my assistant. And so the four of us, we, we kind of always knew that it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when there was gonna be a fire around us. Mm -hmm. So we were fortunate to have big water pumps. I had 500 feet of two inch hose uh, with, a, with a spray nozzle on the end of it. And we threw one end of the, the pump into the pool and the other end uh, 500 feet, we we're out in the vineyard uh, Monday till Thursday, uh, pushing it back into the forest away from us. So we we're able protect both our winery and the residents just amongst us. Our staff joined us. We had employees, you know, clearing brush to make a fire break. We had extended family of the Barnetts. And um, you know, we were very fortunate that everyone pitched in and we were able to push the fire back to the forest and preserve our winery and, and the residents itself. We lost a couple structures. We lost our storage shed of all our winery equipment and vineyard equipment. And we lost our viewing deck, but um, you know we—that's—that's that's nothing compared to what other folks unfortunately lost during that fire. It was a big one. Right. With, uh, oh, Thirty wineries being affected. Right. Thank God, Alan. I know uh, your winery was affected. Do you want to? You know what? How about if I take a break? Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about what happened at. Uh, at Viadere. Um, this is Nikki Nellis live on Industry Night. Well, I'm live. When you hear this, it will not be live. Um, I'll be back in just a sec. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Real Fun DC. And I'm back. Nikki Nellis, Industry Night on Real Fun DC. We are talking about the fires in Napa Valley. Uh, Alan, when we took a break, uh, we were going to talk about what happened at Via Dare. Well, I mean, the fire started, uh, it was that Sunday night, or super early in the morning. Um, and it started just below the property 
on the other side of the canyon and we could see it uh, starting to rage up and uh, unfortunately the winds uh, carried it I mean these fires were so unpredictable I had firefighters telling me that they're you know this fire was going against it was throwing the rule book out you know it was going against everything that they had been taught it was going against the wind downhill um, just taking things um, just taking over and, and throwing embers uh, in every direction um, it was really difficult to see the property I mean we had done extensive work uh, to protect our property. We had fire breaks, um, had every tree limb just, you know, high. So um, David said fire breaks too. I, I don't know what that means. Can you So that's, that's when, when a forest fire has all the burn, all the wood to burn that it needs, it'll continue to pick up steam and get faster and hotter and hotter. So if you can slow down uh, that momentum by clearing some brush, clearing the trees, creating kind of a the 20 or 30 foot section where there's nothing to burn it really gives the firefighters and, and people like David and uh, people protecting structures you know a, a breath a chance to take a breath and really kind of you know reevaluate and, and attack and um, you save structures by just split second decisions like that so um, these fire breaks we had all around our property um, unfortunately the winds were too strong I mean, you'd see gusts 50 60 miles an hour um, we lost so many trees uh, before just because of the winds and then the fires took out pretty much everything else um, our the uh, saving grace for our property is that we're very open um, we did clear um, you know, some areas had had the underbrush taken care of. Everything was manicured and really taken care of um, prior to the fire. Um, so they were able to focus more on saving the structures um, and letting the forests around us, you know, burn, but at a slower kind of more moderate pace. So it wasn't, um, you know, dangerous. Um, you know, you let a few trees burn, that's okay, but um, it slows the pace and they can actually focus on saving. So our winery was spared. Um, we did lose a lot of our uh, irrigation pump houses, uh, storage sheds. Uh, most of our vineyards got torched. Um, I, fortunately, I'm looking at uh, replanting quite significant amount of our vineyards, um, and they were all planted you know, 35 years ago by my mom. So it's uh, it, it was a big hit um, to us. But you know, we we have wine in tank and we have wine and barrel and um, everything was underground so you know no worries of getting too hot so no so. product was no. no product was harmed just i mean the that, that silver lining right that right. you're talking well, about well i hardly i mean that's a that's a look to the heavens right mm -hmm. um with gratitude for that but I mean, you can see the fire was right up to every single building and it oh. kept, it's we saved the building so yeah. um, it was scary it sounds um, it sounds harrowing, actually. Um, Kelly, what about without the Omega? I mean, they had so many properties. It sounds like. Well, we had none of our, our the actual property in the Rutherford Bench was was fine. Uh -huh. We closed the winery for a week, and that was because we lost power, uh -huh. and all of Saint Helena and Rutherford was without power for a week, which was a very a very long time, and we've operated in the past without power when there are PSPS is going on, that's the public safety power outage that PG&E does mm -hmm. when there are high winds and extreme heat. 
and we shuttled our glasses down to our tasting room in downtown Napa to sterilize them and bring them back and bring in porta potties and all that. And so we're able to able to operate. But during COVID times, you can't do that. Plus, the air quality was so bad. I mean, we just couldn't have we couldn't have our team in that air, and we didn't want to encourage people to visit wow. either right. because there are people who will still. If you're open, they're going to come. <laughs> no, no, no. It's very, very true. And so you have to sometimes take, um, you know, help people from hurting themselves and just say, hey, we're just going to remain closed for the safety of our guests who want to come here and then our team also. But as far as vineyards and like, it's, we have various vineyards that we own and then vineyards that we source from. So there are some vineyards that we will not used this year, but we didn't lose anything personally that Alpha Omega, none of the vineyards that we own were affected by the fires. So well, we're this, very This important. is for both you and David. So since your vines remained intact, is the fruit, like I heard you say earlier when we were off air that you were, there was harvesting. So is the fruit viable given the, um, the air quality? Does that affect the fruit? David? Okay, are you all frozen? Hello? Okay, great. Uh, so David, you were saying? Yeah, um, so I, I, I should have mentioned that when I arrived on the property, the vineyard underneath uh, the grass was on fire actually. So we did lose uh, about a third of our, um, uh, possibly our, our, our vines. It's gonna be a big replant like Alan asked to do at Via there. Um, so we actually did have fires in our vineyard. Um, and with that, uh, you know, that, that really puts a damper on being able to produce anything of quality. And I just wanna express really quickly, you know, it is Napa Valley. We are filled with premium wine producers so you are not going to get a bad bottle of wine. We just won't make it. And, and you know, I really want to be emphatic about that because some people like us, we had our Chardonnay in, we had some Merlot in, we had, you know, our, our, our Sauvignon Blanc. Um, and these wines are absolutely fantastic. And, uh, you know, other producers... Right, these are the 2020 vintage? Yeah, the 2020 vintage. Yeah. And so, you know, if you see a 2020 bottle of wine, it means that the, the, the winery had the ability to make a great bottle. So it's, it's you know, I just don't want people to, to run away from the vintage. And then, you know, even though we've had this fire, I'm very emphatic, I, you know, we are open for business. We, we're in Napa Valley. We have amazing wineries uh, here waiting to receive you with open arms. And, uh, you know, the yeah, we had some trials and, and challenges with the fire and COVID, but we want to see people here. so. Come on down, it's beautiful out right now. Okay. Kelly, what about with um, Alpha Omega? Is the thought process about that? <laughs> yeah, it's actually, uh, even following up with what David said, it's actually a great time to be here right now because usually it's jam-packed during harvest time and you can't get a reservation anywhere, but uh, but now now you can. So on the weekends, it's, it's tough though, but... Uh, but yeah, but as far as the vintage itself for 2020, our winemaker, Henrik Polson, I mean, and he was on Instagram Live and Facebook Live yesterday, and he's super excited. We'll have, there are a couple of vineyards we won't use, but, and some of it is, sometimes you just don't know, though, it's still too soon. One thing we always do is break everything down by lots. 
And because Napa Valley has a name, you know, we have a great name. We're not going to jeopardize that name. We're not going to jeopardize Alpha Omega's name by making a product that is not up to par to what we put out in our previous years. Mm -hmm. So, but we will make, we will make wine. And thankfully, like I said, we do get wine from so many different vineyards and our winemaker, Henrik, I mean, he was already super excited about the white wines and said, they're probably going to be Alpha Omega's best white wines ever. And our Chardonnay has won awards before. So that's really saying something. A lot of our red fruit was in already, but we're still harvesting. I mean, we'll finish harvest next week, which will be mid-October. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's still fruit on the vines out there in Oaknall District, which was not so effective. That's Valley Floor. Mm -hmm. And I think that Napa Valley, Napa Valley wines are going to be fine. So many people, I mean, in 2011, it was a cold year and people said, oh my gosh, the wines are not going to be, are not going to be good. You taste the 2011s right now and they're incredible. The 2017 wines are doing so well. Our flagship wine era just won best to show for decanter worldwide awards. Wow. That takes 16,000 wines into account and we won, we had the highest score. And that's a 2017 vintage. So for people who say that the 2020 vintage of Napa Valley is, you know, it's going to be doom and gloom, that's not true. I think everybody takes great pride in their product and will not put wine out there that is not up to the reputation that their winery has already established. Well, I think that's a really solid point from both of you that um the pride of the valley and the product that you're going to put out you're not just putting out whatever you got because of what's happened you're only going to put out a product that you're proud of and that you want people to to enjoy and drink and be a part of alan i want to uh go to you um a little bit you said you already had stuff in tanks so are you in production mode now yeah we've had uh we had all our fruit picked uh early september uh -huh. um, so we have things currently in tanks still going through uh, final stages of fermentation. I mean, we have uh, very high hopes for the vintage. Everything is tasting really good. I'm very excited for the con concentration, the density of the wine. I mean, it was a very hot, dry year going into this. So we had some um, serious, uh, seriously concentrated wines already. Uh -huh. um, but uh, overall, I think uh, a lot of people in Napa are going to go through. There was a recent survey uh, done through the Napa Valley Vintners Association, and uh, about 80% of them are uh, going to go along um, with the 2020 vintage. So, I mean, a lot of whites um, were already in the barn. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of really good wines that are there to come. I think it, the people that are, um, you know, accustomed to the, the beauty, you know, what makes Napa so special is we have these long, dry uh, Indian summers. So, um, you can let fruit hang and hang and hang until your 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 perfect uh, ripe window. So, um, you know, a lot of people that are, that are accustomed to that waiting until October, November to pick, uh, maybe got hit uh, the hardest. Um, but they're still going to have whites in the in the barn, and maybe those early varietals, uh, the pinots and the merlots and those others, um, are going to be in the in the shed. So. Well, I want to ask, we have about five minutes until the show wraps up. So I wanted to ask about the Napa Valley community and how you all sort of support one another during times like this. I mean, is, what is the community like there? I mean, with all the vineyards that were afflicted, the Meadowood, which was like, like watching a friend pass away, it was so horrible. But 
how did you guys, how does everybody help each other? Like, how does it work? It, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing to see this community. I mean, we saw it uh, with, the, with the earthquakes in 2014, the 2017 fires, people came together, opening up uh, their winery doors, people that didn't have uh, tank space or generator power, you know, were looking for places to harvest and put their food and, and wineries left and right would open their doors and say, we have tank space. I'm seeing the same thing here. Um, this, you know, in 2020, people are offering help. Uh, I mean, David, you, I'm sure you're well aware of, you know, your neighbors are, are out fighting other people's, uh, you know, to protect other people's properties. It's, it's pretty incredible, the stories that I've heard of these heroic yeah. acts. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, it was pretty amazing that our neighbor, their, their winery burnt down. Uh, <clears throat> Matt Sherwin, uh, the son of the Sherwin family, uh, came over after their winery um, burnt down to help fight the fires around our winery. Um, so just the camaraderie there and, and then, you know, working with the, 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 the growers as well. Uh, I have my own label tape. I, I have a lot of small um, family vineyards that I work with. Uh, and, and then Barnett obviously works with uh, other vineyards as well. And just communicating and, and you know, working together with them, uh, making sure that they're okay um if if we don't take the fruit or something along that line but the, the community the sense of community in this valley is second to none i'm i'm always amazed at just how much anybody is ready to step up for somebody uh their neighbors or or further away to help them out it's it, it's really been amazing to see well i also I was, oh go ahead Kelly. i was going to say and in addition to people offering you know their production equipment it's donations. We have a foundation in Napa Valley called the Napa Valley, Napa Valley Community Foundation. And all of the wineries, so many of the wineries are encouraging their supporters, their wine lovers to donate. We've made a goal at Alpha Omega to raise $100,000 for the Napa Valley Community Foundation. We did it before in 2017. And so we are asking our members, our wine club members and other enthusiasts to make a donation. And these, the Napa Valley Fund, it's a disaster relief fund, which was set up after the earthquake initially, and then brought back after the 17 North Bay fires, and then reestablished or reactivated in August once the LNU lightning complex fires started. And so they're distributing gift cards to people, food, clothing, and because it's so many people, I mean, it's, this fire was more devastating in a sense to as far as the number of people who were affected uh -huh. because you had people losing their homes you have winer wineries that are gone and people don't have jobs anymore but it's been really it's amazing to see how people come together and not just people in napa valley you're talking about people all over the nation who want to help napa valley and it's really heartwarming to see that but you know we're a very strong community we're built on camaraderie here. That's one of the things that makes me excited to work at in Napa Valley. Everybody's always offering ideas, no matter what it is, whether it's social media ideas, people always share here. So when there's times of need like this, this is when you really see the strength of Napa Valley. Well, well I love, I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear that. I think it's so important that people play together in the sandbox and play together well and support <laughs> one another. Um, and unfortunately, we, I mean, there's so much more to talk about, but we are out of time. What I would love for everybody to do is just quickly give their website and give uh, their Instagram handle so people can go check you out. Uh, Alan? Yeah, viadair.com, V-I-A, 
D-E-R, and Instagram is Viader underscore Napa. Excellent. David? Yeah, so it's uh, barnettvineyards.com and tatewine.com. And then you can follow Barnett Vineyards um, on Instagram and then David Tate, the number eight after that, David Tate eight, if you want to follow us. Um, yeah, thanks, Nikki, for having us. Excellent. Kelly? Alpha Omega's website is aowinery.com and Instagram is aowinery as well. And thanks so much for your interest in Napa Valley and your support. Excellent. Well, listen, I want to thank you all for sharing your stories with us today. Um, I mean, listen, everybody has been affected by lots of things going on right now and uh, sharing your stories are so important. I want to remind everybody who's listening that you can go and support uh, the Napa Valley uh, vineyards by going to Napa Valley Community Disaster Relief. And there you can donate funds. Of course, you can also order wine. And that's another great way to support uh, the vineyards as well. So I want to thank you all for joining us today. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk with people who are passionate about their professions and are able to share their stories with us. And I am uh, really humbled that I was able to have these guests join us today. Um, I wanna thank you for joining us. Next week's show is gonna be equally interesting. I have Eric Brunner Yang. He is a chef around town, but he's also behind the power of 10. Uh, Mike Curtin of DC Central Kitchen and Debbie Shore of Share Our Strength. We're talking about feeding people during these times and how restaurants and charities are coming together to support people who need a paycheck and support people who need food. So thanks again for joining Nikki Nellis on Industry Night on Real Fun DC. I'll see you next week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC.